Welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday the 3rd of July and a very good morning to Jeanette Francis, otherwise known as Jan Fran. Oh my God, nobody calls me that except my mother when I'm in trouble. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're not in trouble, but Facebook might be because Coca-Cola, VW, Honda, Adidas and a whole bunch of other big brands have stopped giving them money for the month of July. Yeah, a little bit later in the show we're going to find out why they've decided to do that. First, let's get to the other big news of the day. The Federal Health Minister wants an explanation after a man with coronavirus left Melbourne's hotel quarantine and returned to work at a Sydney Woolworths. Well, that's exactly what I've uh, referred. I've asked the uh, federal medical experts to uh, approach Victoria and to uh, seek an explanation as to how this could happen. I I think it's very clear that uh, that's an unacceptable outcome. Yeah, the man in his 30s returned to Melbourne from Bangladesh. He tested positive to COVID-19 earlier in the month and was released after he temporarily stopped showing symptoms, but he hadn't taken a second test. So then once he's back in Sydney, he returns a positive test and that's forced 50 of his Woolies co-workers into quarantine. The level of virus detected is very, very low and what this may reflect is just the tail end of an, um, the infection. But because he's also got symptoms, we're just treating it for the utmost of precaution as the fact that he could be infectious. That was New South Wales Chief Health Officer Kerry Chant there who, look, she does seem hopeful at least that the virus hasn't spread. 86 cases were recorded in Australia yesterday, though, 77 of them in Victoria. Yeah, which is really scary. That's the highest number of community transmissions in Victoria since the pandemic began. Yeah. And we're learning more about where they went wrong on hotel quarantine. I mean, that story clearly points out that that guy should have been tested I mean, there's been allegations as well, Tom, that some of the guards had sex with travellers in quarantine. That's, yeah. that's been alleged. And if that is in fact true, that, that's quite a debacle. Yeah, here's one of the guards speaking to Channel 9. We were trying to control the uh, virus, but it, the way they have done everything, I think we were spreading the virus. On their break, guards were going for a break and like they were going to 7-Eleven, McDonald's, KFC, everywhere. And they are exposing everyone for that. What an absolute debacle. Yeah, it sounds like um, there's, there's certainly people that have a lot of questions to answer in this Yeah, case. I hope it's not becoming Victoria's Ruby Princess because that was a deadly outbreak, but it's mm-hmm. not looking good. And actor Jeffrey Rush will hang on to almost $3 million in damages after the Daily Telegraph lost its appeal against his defamation case. So the newspaper published a series of articles alleging that he had behaved inappropriately towards a female co-star. This was while they were acting in the Sydney Theatre Company's production of King Lear in 2017. The federal court described it as recklessly irresponsible journalism. Yeah, and the newspaper tried to argue a truth defence, but the courts rejected it. So this record payout of $2.9 million will still go to Jeffrey Rush. Yeah, and there, there were questions about the reporting from the beginning sort of separate to Jeffrey Rush because the young woman that accused Jeffrey Rush of inappropriate behaviour did so off the record and actually didn't want to go through any formal process and didn't want it made public anyway. So there was just no recognition of what she wanted or her needs and it ended up in the paper. And ended up a complete mess. Exactly. To the US now, and if you have been following the massive story of accused sex offender 
Jeffrey Epstein, his former girlfriend slash associate, Ghislaine Maxwell, has been arrested by the FBI in the US. Maxwell helped him exploit girls who were as young as 14 years old. Maxwell played a critical role in helping Epstein to identify, befriend and groom minor victims for abuse. That's US attorney Audrey Strauss there. So Epstein was the millionaire financier known to be close with uh, celebrities, politicians, royalty, including Bill Clinton, the former US president, Prince Andrew, and even Donald Trump. He was arrested last year on charges of sex trafficking and then died while in prison, and his death was ruled a suicide. Yeah, and as this was all sort of going down, Miss Maxwell, well, she essentially disappeared uh, and was found just a few hours ago in what's being described as, quote-unquote, a gorgeous mansion in the state of New Hampshire. Now, she faces several charges and more than 30 years in prison if convicted. Yeah, so this is a massive development in this story, and it's important to note that in Prince Andrew's car crash interview last year where he tried to play down his connection to Jeffrey Epstein, he openly admitted his close friendship with Ghislaine Maxwell, who's been arrested overnight. Well, I met through his girlfriend um, back in 1999, who, um, and I'd known her since uh, she was at university. And it would be, to some extent, a stretch to say that, uh, as it were, we were close friends. I mean, we were friends because of other people. That doesn't look good, does it? Not at all. So... That'll be the next question. Where does this go for Prince Andrew? Yeah, and where does this go for the countless public figures that have had associations with Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell in the past? Some of the biggest brands in the world, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Adidas, Honda, Pfizer, Unilever, they have all pledged to do one thing, to suspend advertising on Facebook during the month of July. Now, it's part of a campaign called Stop Hate for Profit. The things we're talking about here aren't intended to bankrupt the company or upend the business model. They're simply improvements to the product and tweaks to their practices. So what do I mean? Take off the white supremacist, Holocaust denialism and conspiracy theory content. There is no place for that on any mainstream media platform. Those are some of the demands of the Anti-Defamation League, and that was the CEO of that organisation, Jonathan Greenblatt. They're one of the organisations behind this campaign. Yeah, now the issue of hate speech is this problem that has plagued Facebook for years. Last year, Sasha Baron Cohen, who you guys might know better as Borat, um, the My Wife guy, which, sorry for that terrible... (laughs) impression, but he brought this up in a scathing speech. If Facebook were around in the 1930s, it would have allowed Hitler to post 30-second ads on his solution to the Jewish problem. So here's a good standard and practice. Facebook, start fact-checking political ads before you run them. Yeah, pretty scary stuff when you put it in that context. Mm. Until last week, it looked like this new campaign, Stop Hate for Profit, was impacting Facebook. The share price took quite a big hit and Mark Zuckerberg was forced to make a detailed policy statement, including another pledge to do better. Yeah. So like I said, there's Facebook has been plagued by issues for years. So it's been accused of allowing fake news to spread in the lead up to the 2016 presidential election. In 2018, it was revealed that data from millions of Facebook users was harvested by a firm called Cambridge Analytica without consent 
and for the purposes of political advertising. They don't care whether or not what they do is legal as long as it gets the job done. So it's not, it's not, there's been a lot of focus on the data side of things and there's been a lot of focus on, um, on targeting. But more broadly, this is, a, this is a company that goes around the world and undermines civic institutions. That was whistleblower Chris Wiley there. Now, this scandal really hurt Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg was hauled before US Congress, um, forced to answer a lot of questions and apologised. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. This year, Twitter started flagging tweets that it deemed misleading, including several tweets by US President Donald Trump about mail-in ballots. Facebook, however, in the light of all this, took a slightly different stand. We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. You know, I, I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. Mark Zuckerberg there. So... Let's take a look at this campaign. Facebook makes nearly all of its money from advertising, nearly $70 billion last year. Will this campaign to stop hate for profit actually make a difference? Well, that is the question. And to help us answer that, we've got Dan Van Boom with us. He is the editor of CNET. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. How significant do you think this Stop Hate for Profit campaign is? And what is it exactly that they're after? I... I'm kind of cynical and I don't think that it is that significant. And at least in the long run, I don't imagine it will have that big of an effect on Facebook. That said, I wouldn't be surprised if Facebook does end up actioning a few of the things it's requesting. Mm. Um, It's made a bunch of requests. Some of them I don't see happening. Others are definitely possible. Um, So among the things they've asked for is uh, a C-level executive with a civil rights background who can kind of uh, oversee certain policies that Facebook enact. They want a third party to do regular audits of Facebook's conduct as it pertains to uh, how it handles hate speech. They want Facebook to stop exempting politicians from fact-checking and uh, from espousing violence, uh, which is one of the major problems Facebook has had. And they want it to shut down like all manner of abusive and hateful groups. You said you're cynical about this campaign. Why? Well, there are about 400 advertisers right now who have so far pulled advertisements from Facebook. But most of them, by design, is just a July-only thing. And this comes at a time where advertisers were cutting their marketing budgets anyway. So, for instance, Starbucks, which is one of the major advertisers that has pulled out this year from March until now, July, uh, spent $11 million advertising on Facebook. Last year, they spent $29 million advertising on Facebook during Mm. the same time period. So they had already cut their budget and spending even before the Stop Hate for Profit. So that's one thing. Uh, A lot of the advertisers were probably going to cut a lot of their advertising money anyway. I believe Starbucks and and Coca-Cola among the two that have uh, said that they're going to stop until Facebook gets its act together, uh, mm. basically. But but most are just cutting out for July. The other thing is that Facebook relies really more on smaller businesses. I believe it has about 8 million advertisers. And according to CNN, they only get about 6% of their profit ad revenue from their top 100 advertisers. So the big companies really don't have as much as an effect. And obviously, the small companies don't really have the luxury to withhold funding So what do you make of Mark Zuckerberg's response? Last week, he put up a statement on Facebook and he seemed to take it really seriously. Um, He seemed to address um, one of the first calls of this campaign by appointing people with significant civil rights legal experience. 
And then he made a series of statements, particularly around how they will handle the election going forward. And it, it seemed, you know, the words at least like he he took it really seriously. And straight afterwards, the share price bounced straight back to where it was. What did you make of his statement? Uh, I think a lot of his statement was, I call it good PR, but I don't imagine that a lot of it will have a really long run effect, at least in terms of what the stop hate for change is is looking for. Because before Facebook would say, if a public figure says something misleading or untrue, we're going to keep that up because that's newsworthy by the nature of that public figure saying something, you know, crazy. So now let's just imagine, for instance, if the leader of the free world had a habit of uh, saying things on the internet that were slightly misleading. Yeah, hypothetically, uh, that, of course, let's just imagine that, yep. Hypothetically. That will now get treated with a, you know, misleading or I'm not sure what the actual verbiage of the mm. of the label will be, but something will come up. That obviously didn't go over too well when Twitter tried it, so it'll be interesting to see how this goes. So, Daniel, where do you see it going from here? We're heading into the US election. As you say, Facebook is the biggest social media platform with two and a half billion users. Do you you just see some tinkering around the edges here from Mark Zuckerberg? Do you expect any real meaningful change going forward with the way Facebook works and the impact it has on society and particularly the way it treats kind of harm and offence? I can see, like you say, kind of tinkering on the edge, but I I wouldn't imagine like a bottom-up change or any really significant. It's very easy to say Facebook should be better at moderating its content, but it's very difficult to actually do that without making drastic changes that kind of straitjacket speech. I know that sounds like a almost conservative talking point, but the actual mechanics of how you go about doing this is actually really difficult, especially for something like Facebook, which tries to like walk the middle of the line as it pertains to you know, the, the, the political aisle. They want to appeal to everyone, don't they? They're trying to continue to attract a broad audience without overstepping the mark on harmful content. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, not to make this political, but it is essentially a political issue. I mean, like, it's not like the population at large has a uniform view of what Facebook should do. I would imagine you could split it somewhere down the middle where, you know, the the conservative aisle says, hey, man, freedom of speech. But the liberal aisle is more encouraging the squelching of hate speech by any means necessary. And Facebook, however you may see that kind of dichotomy, Facebook is really interested in making money and walking the middle of that line. Mm. So if you're Facebook, it's really difficult to do this from a mechanical standpoint, but it's also difficult to do this politically because no matter what you do, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Uh, So I I can see Facebook uh, uh, punishing people more and, and being more proactive in banning things that it already bans, but I don't really see it making any huge, huge change. That was Dan Van Boom. He is the editor of CNET. And I think... The big point that he made about this being quite temporary is a very important point. What happens after the month of July? Yeah, I mean, he essentially said that it won't cause a revolution within Facebook. But if you go back to the start, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League was asking not to upend the whole business model, but to make some tweaks to the way Facebook works. And Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said they will tweak it. It just remains to be seen whether those tweaks will actually make a difference. All right, that's it for today. Jan, have a great weekend. Will you boycott Facebook over the weekend? Oh, I'm going to try very hard to, (laughs) but something tells me I probably won't. All right, I hope you have an amazing weekend. Thanks so much for listening to The Briefing this week. We'll catch you Monday. A Podcast One production.